I have to say that now that I use my iPad. I'm a child of God. Have in my hand the powerful Word of God. Can change lives, heal broken hearts, and save man's soul. Here's our prayer. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. I look at your neighbor and just go, you look marvelous today. If nothing else, it puts a smile on your face, doesn't it? <laughs> That's awesome. We're in our series, Going Right in the Culture Going Wrong. We talked about purity last week. Today, I want to talk to you about when you feel like a nobody who's going nowhere. We're going to be in Psalm 139, so if you have those Bibles, turn there. If you don't have the Bible on your phone, you have a smartphone, well, I would encourage you to get it. It's the one that LifeChurch.tv puts out. It's free. It's a free download. It's a wonderful tool to have on your um, phone. And it's a great way to be devotion, have devotional readings and all that right there through that program. It's awesome. So I would encourage you to uh, download that. One of the most interesting and moving movies that, uh, it's been a while since I've seen it, but, but I remember it. Uh, Mr. Holland's Opus. Any of you remember that movie? It tracks a 30-year life or 30-year career, I should say, of a man's life who raises a family and teaches high school music, but he really goes far beyond that. That's what I appreciate about our coaches here is that they really go beyond just the coaching aspect. It would be great if they just coached and that's it. But there's just a lot more that they do, and there's a lot more young people that they try to influence because these kids need extra help. And so in Mr. Holland's life, he poured his life into these kids. Um, he really couldn't make a living writing or performing his own music, so a dream of composing a symphony had to be put on the back burner for those pressing matters of raising a family. But it was always there, vibrating underneath that desire, waiting, hoping. Then came the day when the music program at the high school was axed because of financial cutbacks. As he struggles with being put aside by the school board after so many years, Mr. Holland is left questioning whether his life has mattered at all put his dream on hold to take up this daily goal of trying to impact the lives of teenagers through music. And now that too is gone. In the scene I want you to see, you're going to see Mr. Holland go to his old classroom after he meets with the principal. And in his classroom, the weight of the world's on his shoulders and Bill, the football coach, drops by to see his hurting friend. Let's take a look. wants to see me? He's with someone. Oh. Well, I'll come back later. Mr. Holland, 
You better wait. Sarah, Jean. Please, sit down. I'd rather stand, thanks. Why is Sarah crying, Jean? All right. I'll come right to the point. You know how acrimonious the budget meeting was at the Board of Education meeting last Tuesday. Be that as it may. Each school in the district has been asked to submit proposals on ways of reducing costs by 10% for September. This is what I've decided. Entire music program. And art and drama. Well, congratulations, Gene. You've been looking for a way to get rid of me for 30 years, and they finally gave you an excuse. You know, I'm not as popular as you. I'm not anybody's favorite anything. That's because you're the enemy, Gene. You just don't but know it. I care about these kids just as much as you do. And if I'm forced to choose between Mozart and reading and writing and long division, I choose long division. Well, I guess you can cut the arts as much as you want, Gene. Sooner or later, these kids aren't going to have anything to read or write about. Mr. Holland? If there's anything I can do, a recommendation? I'm 60 years old, Gene. What are you going to do? Write me a recommendation for the morgue? Jacobs would have fought this. She would have lost. Yes, she would have lost, but she would have fought this. And so will I. No, no, do not misunderstand me. I am not talking about my job. I am talking about the education that students once got at Kennedy High versus the education that you people are willing to give these kids today. We have been going over and over this, Mr. Holland. We've done all we can. Then do it again. That's what I used to tell you when you were my student, Michael, and it served you pretty well then. Well, that was a different time, Mr. Holland. I don't think the time was that different. I think that more was expected of us. Fifteen and I seconds. I think the big difference is how little you people care and how lazy you become. I resent your tone, Mr. Holland, and I don't think you have any real appreciation for our financial problems. Oh, come on, Michael. You know, the big problem here is that you people are willing to create a generation of children who will not have the ability to think. Or create, or I, listen. Mr. Holland. Mr. Holland, as I've said, we've done the best that we can. Your best is not good enough.
jock straps and a red cycle down the locker room. We'll see if you need any help. Nope. Nope, nope, nope. So you decided what you're going to do yet? Too old to start a rock band. Probably hang out a shingle and teach a few piano lessons. I'd love to retire. I'd... I'm not retiring, Bill. I'm getting dumped. And I don't think you have anything to worry about. The day they cut the football budget in this state, well, now, that will be the end of Western civilization as we know it. <laughs> I'll tell you the truth. I'm scared to death. They have no idea how much they're going to miss you around here. You really think so? What, do you doubt it? Well, as a matter of fact, yeah. It's almost funny. I got dragged into this gig kicking and screaming, and now it's the only thing I want to do. And You work your whole life. You work for 30 years because you think that what you do makes a difference. You think it matters to people. And then you wake up one morning and you find out, well, no, you've, you've made a little error there. You are expendable. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, I should be laughing. You sure you don't need any help, huh? been there? You ever felt like everything you've ever done, I mean deep down inside, you, everything you've done nobody really appreciates? You're driving and you don't have to pay much attention. You start thinking about where your life's heading and your, what you've done and what you haven't done. You ever pause and add up what your life amounts to or hasn't? Maybe you just feel like a rat in a cage turning the big wheel. Life is a treadmill of the same old, same old. You work hard, but it doesn't feel like you're getting anywhere. You feel underappreciated, overlooked, underpaid, even unnecessary. There are many versions of what Mr. Holland was going through, and it seems to me that most people who take the time to reflect on their lives struggle with these incomplete feelings and dead-end thoughts. Some people wrestle with them every day. And if you take stock of your life and you say, what difference does my life make? Does anybody really know or care about me? Then you're in the right place today for the right message. In Psalm 139, I'm going to show you four truths that God knows and loves and cares for you. Let's get rolling. First one is that God knows you. God knows you. In the first eight, I should, should say, excuse me, in the first uh, uh, part of Psalm 139 and uh, through those uh, verses, 
there are eight different Hebrew words that stack up to tell you that God knows your story. He starts out, he says, Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from afar. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it all, Lord. You've enriched and encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This behind and before and lay your hand upon me. This extraordinary knowledge is beyond me. It's lofty. I am unable to reach it. Each of these words conveys a different layer of God's knowledge of you and me. When you combine these words, there is a picture that God is like a detective tracking even our most mundane activities, studying us even when we think we're alone. He dissects our inner world into our inner parts, knowing and discerning what makes us tick and what we're going to do. He's penetrated past our best foot forward. He has such a grasp of each of us on a programming level that He knows precisely what you will say or do next as if it had already been uttered or performed. So God knows your heart, your fears, your thoughts, your motives, dreams, even frustrations. He knows your past, your present, and your future. He understands you. He notices what's going on around you and to you and inside of you. He gets it. In fact, God has you pegged better than you do yourself. You think your motive for doing something is this when God, who's not fooled, knows it's for that. Sounds kind of unnerving, but you can rest reassured that God knows, but He still loves us. When David says that God has laid His hand upon him, he's referring to an Old Testament practice of bestowing a blessing on someone. A wise father would place his hands on his children, speak words into their lives about who they are and will be, what their place in the family meant, and what their future will be. Dads, you need to do that to your children today. Put your hands on their shoulders and express to them the blessing from God. And the Hebrew families is one of the most important things that would happen. And in that same way, our Heavenly Father knows and bestows blessings on us. Born out of love that marks our place in His family. Because in God's family, nobodies are non-existent. Everybody matters. And the more special you are, the greater the impact. Second truth I want you to see is that God pursues you. When David affirmed that God's thorough knowledge of him was so complete, he says in verse 6, that this is beyond me. It is lofty. I am unable to reach it. And what he really meant is, I just can't deal with this. It's too overwhelming. It's out of my reach. When you call Cleo, 1-800, call me, man. 
Cleo will tell you about your future over the phone. And for some of you, you'll think, whoa, how did she know that? Wow. Horoscopes. People, boy, they read them every day to find out what their marching orders are for the day. Oh, I don't really read it. Well, why do you have it? Why do you spend a moment reading it? Because you want to know when it says, wow, you're going to meet some wealthy person today. Well, today is your day. Of all the people that you will meet, you're one of them. And the one that's the most profound that I've read lately is wherever you go, there you are. David's first instinct is the same as ours. How can I escape? How can I hide? There's times when we don't want God to see what we're doing. Amen? I got both hands up, so amen, hallelujah, amen, hallelujah. He knows we're hypocrites. He knows that we're liars. He knows it. And yet, He still loves us. Huh. Look down at verses 7 through 12. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I live on the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will become night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. You see, you can't hide. You ever played hide and seek and you can't be found? You can't be found because you get to the darkest, deepest recesses where nobody can see you. And then when you get there, it's so dark and recessed that you're afraid that they won't find you. And so what do you do? Start making noise so somebody will find you. Yeah. You'll tap on the wall. Or you'll say, <coughs> and then they'll open the door. I found you. Oh, how'd you know I was in here? Because really, deep down inside, you were scared to death. But I want you to know that God knows where you are. He knows what's going on. And if you think you can fool Him, stop. David feared total exposure. And it moved him to consider if there was some way <coughs> to retreat geographically, spiritually. How could he be secret? How could he not let God see him? He goes on to say, he tracks my past, but not to the point out, What's wrong but to exact justice from me? He's determined to give me grace to be more involved in my life. He wants me to be whole, but I keep trying to hide from Him so He can't get to me. Then he says down in verse 10, If I could ride the sun's rays and fly at blinding speeds to some remote place or bury myself under miles of ocean even there writes David your hand will lead me your right hand will hold on to me you see that hand will lead me as guidance that hand will hold on to me as security one of the greatest things in the world is to have security amen when Kelsey and I are walking across the parking lot 
she instinctively, because her mother and dad had taught her what to do, she instinctively reaches up and grabs my hand. Because she thinks I can protect her from this big old massive world out there with these cars going, nobody looks and listens. But you see, that little girl, she can hide behind me. And I will protect her. I'd let a car run over me before I let it run over her. So she's holding my hand. And I hold her hand. And I like holding her hand. Because I feel secure when I'm holding her hand. Because God loves little kids. And I figure if He loves little kids, He might just shine on me just a little. (laughs) You're wanted by God. Over and over in the Bible, that's affirmed. We're called God's beloved, chosen, dearly loved children. We're told that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. When you feel the crushing weight of loneliness and wonder if you would be missed if you were gone, please remember that God loves you. Mary Ann Bird writes that when she was growing up, she knew just simply that she was different. She said, I hated it. I was born with a cleft palate, and when I started school, my classmates made it clear to me how I looked to others. A little girl with a misshapen lip, crooked nose, lopsided teeth, and garbled speech. What classmates, when classmates asked what happened to your lip, I'd tell them that I'd fallen and cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow that seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to have been born different. I was convinced that no one outside my family could ever love me. There was, however, a teacher in the second grade. Why is it always second grade teachers? There was a teacher in the second grade. Mrs. Leonard was her name. She was short, round, happy. And most of them are like that. A sparkling lady. Annually, we had a hearing test. Mrs. Leonard gave the test to everyone in class. And finally, it was my turn. I knew from past years that as we stood against the door and covered one ear, the teacher sitting at her desk would whisper something. And we would have to speak it back. Things like, the sky is blue. Or, do you have new shoes? Marianne waited for those words that God must have put into the mouth of this teacher. Those seven words that she says changed her whole life. Mrs. Leonard said in her whisper, I wish you were my little girl. Oh, how He loves you and me. And He pledges to us that now and forever we belong to Him because of faith in Christ Jesus and we can never, ever be separated from Him. He loves us with an everlasting love. He wants to spend eternity. He wants to spend forever with us. Why would we reject that? Why would we reject that message? Third truth I want you to see is that God Himself made you. Look in verses 16 through the first part of verse 16. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. We had the privilege 
Gigi and I did. Jeff and Misty invited us to come to the hospital or to the imaging center to watch the ultrasound to see if they could tell what kind of baby's in there. It was the most remarkable thing. Oh, head, facial features, little arm with a fist, legs just a-going. And I guess in one of those shots when the legs were going, everything was revealed. The little technician said, whoop, no doubt here. At least you drew a line to it. Thank you, Jesus. But I just thought, how wonderful is that? That there is a life growing in the womb of my daughter-in-law. And how I had the privilege to watch that. Today is the Sanctity of Life Sunday. Since 1973, we've killed more babies than in all the wars we've ever fought in as a nation. Since 1973. And you want God to bless America? Oh, preacher, you, you don't understand. There's extenuating circumstances a woman's right to choose she already made the choice <laughs> she already made the choice so did he by the way so we always pick on the girls don't we well, what about that knothead boy he made some choices too didn't he well it's just easy for him to walk away well that's just where it is you know how it is sound like an old southern redneck doesn't it well, it ain't my fault. I don't have you. Oh, beat him with a stick and do some good, okay? Use him for alligator bait somewhere down in the bayou. It says we've been remarkably or fearfully and wonderfully made in verse 13. In other words, we are unique, one of a kind. All of you have one of these? Hold it up. You got one of these? Hold it up. Come on, come on, turn and look at it. Now look at your neighbors. Does theirs look like yours? Nope. It's the only one that's ever been made right here. You've got the only one. And guess who knows which one it is? Ha <laughs> yeah, ha, not your mother. God, God knows every one of these and how special and unique you are. The most powerful computer in the world is the IBM Blue Gene L housed in Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory in California. It can perform 280 trillion calculations a second, but that's nothing compared to the computer they're trying to put together at the Department of Energy's Los Alamos National Laboratory in New Mexico. Components for this supercomputer began to arrive in the fall of 2006. 36 moving vans full of equipment will be needed to, com to complete it. And by the time it's finished, the computer would fill a room the size of a hockey rink and consume as much energy as a small town. And the goal of the computer is to do a quadrillion calculations a second. Now, how fast is that? It's roughly a billion times faster than 
any desktop computer at your house. But I want you to get this. The human brain processes information even faster than that. Scientists have estimated that the brain carries out 10 quadrillion operations a second. Ten times faster than the computer the size of a hockey rink. God has done some incredible knitting with this thing here, isn't he? You might say, I can't remember a thing. That's because you're not trying. Or either that or you processed so much stuff, it blew out. But if you don't like what you see in the mirror, you've been taking your cues from the world rather than our Heavenly Father. He is an incredible artisan who made you for himself. And there's no one in history like you. He gave you a personality, innate ability, spiritual gifts that set you apart. You are his treasured creation made in his likeness. God knows you. He wants you. He wants to spend forever with you. And the fourth truth I want you to know is that God has plans just for you. In verse, the latter part of verse 16 through 18, All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. God, how difficult your thoughts are for me to comprehend and how vast their sum is. David says that the script of your life has already been written by God, that the Lord has carefully mapped out the details and will fill your days, ordaining what will and will not happen. The Hebrew word the Holy Spirit has, David used here, indicates that God has created each day of my life, tailoring circumstances, establishing boundaries, and fashioning opportunities for His glory and my good. And you might be in the midst of a struggle going, well, if this is what God wants, I don't want nothing to do with Him. You quit looking tunnel, open your vision. See the big picture. Well, preacher, I don't want to die. Guess what? You're going to. I've never met anybody. I saw Betty White's 90th birthday celebration last night on TV. Now, as old as 90 seems, we've got one that can beat her right here in our church, and he's here every Sunday. But we're all going to eventually give up and, and, and kill over. Amen? Taxes and death. Isn't that the two that somebody, everybody says you're going to have? Super. Guarantee it. Wouldn't it be smart to go ahead and have the final destiny already established? And then whatever happens, happens. Because we should be able to break out in song this. World is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere. Oh, no. We sing it like this. My... Treasures are laid up out in my driveway now. Yeah. You see, He knows you. He pursues you. He made you with a purpose. And He's ready to live out those plans in each of us. So the question is, will we allow ourselves to hear His still, small Voice. Will we hear his whisper that says, I wish you were my child? Will we hear the whisper, I wish you were my child? And then he would say, I'm so glad you are. Take my hand and let's run this race together. 
I have a picture up here of a $100 bill. Kind of a nice looking picture, isn't it? How many would like to have several of those? Amen. Boy, look at the hands go up. All right. Man, I can get, can't get an amen out of you, but I can get a $100 bill given to all of you. Glory to God. Man, I'll tell you what. If I offered that to you, would you take it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But what if I made it look like this next picture? All wadded up. Stomped on. Maybe somebody's even spit on it or drooled on it. It still spins the same way. If you undid it, would it still be worth a hundred dollars? I mean, you'd need gloves on probably to undo it. You don't know where it's been. Wow. A crisp, clean one hundred dollar bill is worth the same amount as an ugly older one is, isn't it? You may feel like you've been stepped on, beat up, or kicked around. You may feel dirty, unworthy, or useless. But I want you to know one thing. You matter to God. You matter to God. Maybe your parents have said words that ring in your ears to this day or they didn't say the words you were longing to hear. Maybe your spouse has rejected you verbally, emotionally, or physically. Don't let what another human does define you. Don't draw conclusions about yourself based on their words. Look higher. You matter to God. He sent Jesus to die on the cross for you. If you'd have been the only person alive at the time Jesus died, he still would have died the same way. The only difference is you would have nailed the nails in his hands. Father, I ask you this morning, as we come to our time of invitation, that Father, you might move in the hearts of your people here this morning. They might sense a real need to draw close to you. Father, there might be a sense that they're beat down in life, that life has been unfair to them, that, Father, the, the words that they've heard most of their life were not uplifting, encouraging words, but were demeaning and downtrodden words. Father, words have power. The person who said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me is a liar. Words cut, words hurt, but they also heal and they also uplift and encourage. So God, I want to thank you for loving us the way you do. I want to thank you for forgiving us the way you do. And you continue to love us in spite of our best efforts. God, today, if there is somebody in this room, I know they're here. But will they have the courage to respond to you? Oh, it's, it's okay to respond right where they sit, no doubt. Or where they'll stand in a few moments, no doubt. Because you'll hear that prayer also. But God, is there somebody that might come to the cross and fall on their knees and call out to you because they need you so much? They need you to touch them and to lift a burden that's so heavy on their heart. God, I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know who you're going to touch. 
that we are your vessels today. Do what you need to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.